You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So today we're going to continue on kind of looking from a different angle at the Detroit Lions. One of the things that I always love to do, looking at the, uh, you know, at what point does a team win or lose or whatever. Also got injuries and then just kind of whatever I feel like off the top of my head on this given day. I'm pretty sure I'm over the Christmas thing, so there shouldn't be any more Christmas ranting, which there really shouldn't be any Christmas ranting ever, right? Christmas is a time to be happy and joyful, and I apologize I got upset at fake Santa Claus's fat brother. Excuse me, Santa Claus's fake fat brother. That's the correct way to say it. But, uh, you know, I just, you know, this, uh, Christmas is a big deal, man. And I just, I, I, you know, I don't like people messing with it. That's all I'm saying. But as always, let's start with getting this injury report out of the way. Not a whole lot has changed here. Some of this is confusing me, but I'm going to carry on and not worry about it. Because, you know, my uncle gave me some good advice once when we were out ice fishing. He said, you know, you don't have to announce the fact that you're stupid. It's good advice. I don't don't usually take that advice. I just say when I don't know stuff. But I'm going to go ahead and take this time and take his advice and uh, just pretend I know what's going on here. But... The folks that did not practice, Mercedes Lewis and Jay Sternberger. We already know Jace uh, will not be joining us on this of glorious days. Also, I just got an email from Nathan. He says, anybody that believes in fat Santa Claus's brother gets their Wisconsin card removed. By the way, I kind of indulged a little bit. There's there's a general thing with St. Nick Day, and everybody kind of has their own explanation of how it happens. I, I just went off on a rant on what my friend was saying. My wife is like, no, 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 not brother, nothing to do with fruit. I don't know what you're talking about. Again, they got to kind of come up with their own backstories to make this thing work. But anyways, uh, moving on, you have lost your Wisconsin card. Sorry, I, I didn't do it. I'm from Illinois. I can't take your card. But Nathan from up north Wisconsin has officially taken your card. Um, I hear Florida's nice. I might be joining you down there someday. Maybe check that out. But um, you're not welcome here anymore. I'm sorry. But anyways, Jace is out, and Mercedes Lewis did not practice. Again, that's sort of a, uh, still a fairly good chance he plays. I mean, one of these days it's possible it's an actual serious injury. However, they hold him out pretty regularly, just, you know, keeping him fresh and whatnot. Otherwise, I mean, there's a pile of limiteds. Uh, Malik Taylor is added to the list, limited with a hamstring. Rick Wagner is still limited. Simon Stepniak is still limited. Uh, Equinemius actually was uh, moved from did not practice to limited. I had moved, uh, put that on Twitter yesterday, as well as Mr. A.J. Dillon was added to the, he's not on the injury report list, but he was back at practice. So I don't know. I, I don't really know what to think about A.J. Dillon. I mean, not big picture. I know I'm excited about him big picture and his potential and all that. I don't know if I, because there's kind of like two camps, you know, there's, a group of people that genuinely believe that we're saving up A.J. Dillon and we're just going to unleash him in the playoffs. I tend to think that's pretty unlikely, but it doesn't mean it doesn't happen anyways, even if it's not the plan. The other side of this would be the other extreme, which is, no, he's still just the number three. He's still really raw. He still doesn't really understand the basics of this. He's he's basically Rashawn Gary year one. He's nothing but a ball of massive potential that doesn't know what to do with his body. 
He doesn't know how to move, when to move, where to move, all that stuff. But when he figures it out, he's going to be fine. Now, the good news is he should at least still get a couple touches, so we still get to get excited about this giant, fast, freakish bowling ball smacking into people in December football weather, which is really the exciting part about this. Also, I mean, it's good just on the off chance of injury. I hate to even bring that up, but, you know, stuff happens. People tweak things, get a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I don't know. It's good to have them. So I guess what I'll say is I don't believe that there is some kind of a plan to unleash him. I think the plan is what it always was. It's he's the number three guy. We'll try to sneak in some touches when we can, but the ultimate goal here is to win. It's not preseason. It's not training camp. It's not practice. We have to win football games. So I don't want to take away snaps from Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, who are very good and know exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and give it to this guy because he needs snaps, even though he does. right? Same thing as Rashawn Gary. Like He needs the practice. we got to get the guy the snaps. But at the same time, I'm not taking Preston and or Zadarius off the field to get this guy practice. We're trying to win football games here. And I kind of think that's the delicate balance here with A.J. Dillon. And that's why we've been seeing him. He gets he goes out there for like a play and then he comes back out and then we don't see him until we're kind of closing this thing out in the fourth quarter. Which is disappointing, but again, I mean, I think he's done a great job. It hasn't been perfect, but again, I still think he's the highest graded. Maybe not because Aaron Jones had a really good game, but uh, one of the highest graded guys, uh, running backs on the team. Limited sample size, but again, I mean, he's, he's faced nothing but stacked boxes, and he's done actually quite well. I think he had that one game where he actually graded out as elite, even though he had like four yards, because the expected yards on those were about negative seven. He ended up with like a positive four. I'm making up the numbers, but that's generally what happened. So again, it's really just a matter of, it'll be nice to see him full time. If it happens, which it might, I think it'll be organic. I don't think it's a plan. It'll be, you know, we got him a couple snaps, and he's really looking different. He's really figuring it out. He's really making an impact. Let's ride the hot hand kind of thing. Not like, you know, this has been the plan all along. I, I don't think that's the case. Uh, Zadarius Smith, full participation. Vernon Scott, limited. J.K. limited. Lucas Patrick, limited. Uh, Lazard King, limited. Chris Barnes, Jair Alexander, full participation. Most of that is exactly as it was yesterday, with the exception of Chris Barnes, who was limited Wednesday, full participation Thursday, moving in the right direction. Not that it matters a ton, because he won't be playing very much. While we're on the topic, um, I really wasn't planning on talking. I mean, just this morning I wasn't. Yesterday I was, so I got to kind of... I haven't fully fleshed this out, and I've just been getting little glimmers here and there, but there's something weird going on with the Zadarius Smith, um, Mike Pettin dynamic. And again, I haven't heard the actual interview, so I, I got to go back and kind of flesh this out, and maybe if somebody wants to be my best friend, they can go show me where these interviews happen. But we had heard from Zadarius, I believe about a week ago or so, that... Um, the entire group got together, went to Mike Pettin, and said, hey, man, we really want to simplify this and just get after the quarterback. And Pettin was like, yeah, dude, sounds great. Let's just do that. And then they all did it, and it was great. That was like the, the rosy picture that we heard. Not great news for Pettin, who's been now seemingly told what to do by Matt LaFleur. Again, not verified, but seemingly, and now being told what to do by his own pass rushers. And every time he gets told what to do, the defense gets better, right? That's the negative picture that's being painted at his direction, but it still sounded like a nice story. Like, yay, we're going to be better because things are better. Then, Mike... Again, so... Preston essentially refuted that, which is also kind of weird because they're like buddy-buddy or whatever, so, you know... But he's just kind of being honest. He's like, no, there wasn't any group meeting. I met with him individually, which maybe you could say that's what Zedarius meant. Like, as a group, they went to him individually and told him this stuff. But it's still kind of weird. And then, again, didn't hear the exact words, but it sounds as though our defensive coordinator 
came to the podium and started a little bit trashing Zedarius about, you know, he's not really being a team player right now. He wants to do his own thing instead of doing what I tell him to do. This is the kind of rift that isn't great. And I saw an article, I didn't read it, but it was something to the effect of um, Mike Pettin isn't going anywhere. It's interesting because I do think it's overstated how bad the defense is. Um, I do think that there are some good things, and I do think I do tend to agree that things are generally getting better. With that said, I, I kind of think sometimes we look at the wrong picture, and things like this could end up being the thing that gets our defensive coordinator fired. I don't know why all the names... I keep wanting to say Preston Smith when I say our defensive coordinator, Mike Pettin. That's a prime example of don't tell people you're stupid. You don't have to announce that. You can just move on. I thought you covered it up quite nicely, but you just had to tell everybody, hey, I'm my brain's dumb. That's fine. I think some things end up being... They're, they're, I'm trying to think the best way to say this. There's a lot more than just the end result, which is what we look at, right? It's third and nine, they converted fire patent. That's kind of where a lot of us are stuck. You get to that next level, kind of where you get the film breakdown guys like Coach Hahn who say, well, if you look at the dynamic of what happened, it was a good play call, but this guy failed. It happens sometimes, and you got to let it go. And that kind of gets back to the whole, we don't like gray area stuff. It's black and white, right? If you're a good defensive coordinator, you stop him on third and nine, end of conversation. But it's not really the end of conversation. You got to kind of look at nuance, and we don't really like doing that. But then there's stuff that's even deeper than that, because being a coach isn't just about X's and O's. We like that aspect of Matt LaFleur, but there was more to it than that. And fortunately, one of the first things we learned about Matt LaFleur is what a great thing he did for the locker room. We learned that before we learned if he'd be able to figure out the X's and O's. And and there is also a, a second dynamic here, and that is what I had said about Matt LaFleur, and it was very simple. Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers and these guys would get along great as long as things are going well. We went 13-3, and three, there was no rift. If we would have gone 3-13, and 13, I have a feeling there would have been a bit of a rift. Now we're starting to see some issues defensively. Now it's not necessary. I mean, they can go to the podium and be like, look, you guys are crazy, you don't know what you're talking about, the defense is fine, but the fact that there seems to be, there seems to be a rift tells me that they know full well this is not going well. And there's also internal banter, right? Where we've heard from what Mike Smith saying Preston isn't doing good enough. Where he, I mean guys aren't doing their job and I have a feeling they're getting called out and I don't think guys like that very much. And so there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on behind the scenes in which you've got players that are saying it's not my fault like when Blake left. He was saying, "Look, I'm a good football player, but that defensive coordinator doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know how to use me. He's calling stupid plays." And the defensive coordinator saying, no, it's not stupid. Go look at that team over there. They execute it, and they succeed. Look at the defenses I've coached in the past. When they execute it, they succeed. you got to shut your mouth and do what you're told. And there's sort of, again, I'm kind of making part of this up, but you understand how that can be a dynamic. And we're starting to get a little bit, bit of that. Something isn't quite working. right? We've talked about Zadarius isn't anywhere near where he should be. Kenny is basically looking kind of horrible lately. Preston, not doing well. Rashawn is decent, but it's only really because we don't know what Rashawn is. So Rashawn is better than he was last year, but you know we don't have this baseline of a, a, an, an elite year of Rashawn Gary to say, wow, he fell off. Well, for all we know, he should be better than he is. We're just looking at it going, hey, he took a step. Cool. You know, We had the issues with Savage and Amos. Like, Why are they not doing better? And so what I guess what I'm saying is fans have those times when they go back and forth and say, it's the defensive coordinator. No, it's not. It's the players. And I think they do too. And that's the funny thing is there are things when we look at it and say fans do these stupid things and we act like they don't do it, right? They're professionals. They know. Yes, they do. They do that also. 
we act like they're above the whole, like, who's better, Pat Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers, or the whole chip on the shoulder thing. Like, no, they're professionals. They don't do any of that stuff. Yes, they do. They get sad, and they get angry. They get tired. They get lazy. They get depressed. They get motivated. They get all these different things. No different than you when you go to work. And it's not the same for everybody. Some guys get that big paycheck, and they coast. They're like, I did it. I'm good. We're moving on. Some guys get that big paycheck, and they're motivated. Some guys fight real hard in in contract years, and some guys don't. Everybody's a different human being that acts differently, and I guess what I'm saying is when things aren't going well, it's kind of hard to keep everything together, and we're starting to see some cracks, and that's not great. And so it's something that I would kind of like to monitor going forward because, again, there's more to this than just scheme. There's more to this than, than all this other stuff. If, if uh, Mike Pettin loses the locker room, that gets factored in as well. The X's and O's, the play calling, the adjustments his interaction with other coaches, his interactions with his subordinate coaches, right? How, how he treats and acts with guys like Mike Smith, his interaction with players. One of the, if you look at, again, the teams like Carolina Panthers and the Raiders, they don't have great rosters, but what they have is a team that buys in. Even though they're losing, they buy in, they believe, and they win games they have no business winning. And there are certain coaches that kind of get that reputation. They're, they're program builders, so to speak. They're motivational people, and they get people fired up, and they get people to buy in. People bought into Mike Pettin initially. At least that was the word. I mean, who really knows? I mean, we know Mike Daniels was all fired up about him because he had this sort of attitude or whatever. But it seems like that veneer, the, the honeymoon period, is, is falling away. And now it's kind of like, all right, listen, we're kind of tired of this. We want better. And I think it's kind of on both sides. Again, you got the players saying, this is BS. We don't like what we're doing. Why are you doing things this way? Then you got the defensive coordinator saying, why can't you guys just shut your mouth and do what you're told so we can succeed? You guys don't listen. You're not doing the right things. It's very simple. You're supposed to fill this gap. Why are you way over there? And the players are like, look, yeah, I get it, but why don't we just do this and we don't have to worry about that? Maybe we should stop trying to do things your way and change it up a little bit, which, again, that's not going to happen because this is the way Mike Pettin knows how to play football. We always talk about coaches in terms of, well, they can change, right? I mean, you bring in a defensive coordinator, he doesn't have to flip this whole thing on his head and and just run his one scheme. I mean, that's what good coaches use the players they have. We say that, and there might be a little bit of that. In other words, there's some variability within a scheme to say, well, we have a really good safety and not very good pass rushers, so we're going to run kind of this way. But we're going to run my scheme this way. And the fact of the matter is, Mike Pettin is not going to change what he does. He has studied and learned and mastered a specific style of football. It's, it's the same reason why Mike McCarthy probably just needs to hang it up. right? He tore up his whole playbook, came back, and what happened? It was the exact same offense. He acts like it was some kind of revolutionary different thing. Kind of reminds me of, of the draft community. You know, there's, there's so much groupthink within the draft community, and, and they'll never say that there is. But it's funny, if you just look at, for example, the draft network, and I'm not trying to dog them to do a great job, but just go over there and look at each individual big board. I don't think they've even released their big boards yet, but when they do, look at them. If you just look at that, you're going to say, man, there's a ton of variability in here. Some guys have this guy at 35, some guys have him at like 50. Like, there's a ton of variability until you look at other boards which is what I do. I look at all the boards and I bring them together and I kind of feel guilty using each individual board of the draft network because they're almost identical. When you compare them not to each other, but to all the other boards, there's some massive variability. So again, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Mike Pettin has the ability to have that variability within the draft network, right? Basically, they're the exact same board, but we're a little bit unsure about this one safety out of Purdue. 
you see an early second or a late second, right? That's like a dramatic, like, whoa, are you crazy? You love him so much. But you get outside of the community, and that guy that's either an early second or a late second on somebody's board is an undrafted free agent. And I think that's what you get with coaches, right? There's variability within their scheme, but they, they're just going to run this. This is what they've spent their whole lives mastering. And granted, if you have Matt LaFleur sit down and explain to me you know, the Earhart Perkins system, he's not going to be a very good NFL coach running Bill Belichick's, you know, sort of system. But, I mean, he's going to sound like a super genius sitting down with me, but that's not the point. Can you execute it at that height? No, he can't. And he's not going to. He's not going to sit down and say, you know what, with the personnel we got, we should be running uh, the Patriots system. That's what, no, never going to happen. So it is what it is. Petten either needs to get the buy-in, like this is what we're running, and you need to buy in and believe that this is going to work. Or it's just not going to work. And if he can't get that buy-in, the point is, I just I don't think he can stay. And it's not even about the success of the defense. It's not about any of that. It's about, this is this is mandatory. And I know it sounds silly. It's like, what are you even talking about? This is dumb. The defense is doing great. They're getting better every single week. You're, you're making a mountain out of a, a molehill. That's kind of my point, though. The same kind of nonsense things that go on out there in the fan base community happen inside the locker room, and I think maybe there's a little bit of that going on. There's frustration. Maybe there shouldn't be. Maybe guys should just be excited. Like, no, look, you guys are doing a good job. Just keep doing it. Please don't get upset. Please. But they are. Something weird is happening, especially with Zadarius, who's like the last guy on earth you would expect to have this kind of like a, a rift with somebody. He just seems like a genuinely nice kind of guy. We can't have that kind of stuff. We had that with Mike, uh, Mike McCarthy where guys were, there was a rift, and you started hearing about, you know, some guys just don't care. They come in, they collect their paycheck, they kind of check out. They're not buying into this. We can't have that. So, again, it's just something to keep an eye on. It doesn't mean the defense is garbage or trash. I'm not making that kind of a statement. I'm just, I'm talking about this is also an issue. And and, and not just this kind of stuff happening, which I'm sure happens in every locker room to varying degrees, but when it gets to the point where it's starting to spill out into press conferences, where they're taking digs at each other in the national media, I feel like at that point, you know, the whole iceberg thing, when you, if you see a little bit above the surface, you know, imagine how much is under it, surface of the water, if anybody wanted to get technical and ridiculous. So I, I guess I'm just saying I'm concerned about that aspect of it, and I hope they have a really good game against Detroit, and Zadarius has five sacks, and the defense just tears it up, and it starts to mend this a little bit. Because there's clearly something, and again, I didn't listen to it. Maybe this is all nonsense, and I will come back and apologize for wasting your time. Again, if you have links to those things, please send them to me, because um, I don't honestly know how much time I'm going to invest in trying to dig these up, but I definitely need to, because I want to get a better idea of, you know, what's going on. Um... I feel like there was something else I was going to say, but I can't think of it. So we'll head over to Detroit. Not a whole lot has changed. uh, CJ Moore, the safety slash special teamer, uh, was added to practice. He is limited. He was did not practice on Wednesday. He was limited on Thursday. However, everything else has more or less stayed the same. Carryon Johnson did go from limited to full, so he's going to be full go. That's really never been in question. The biggest question has been DeAndre Swift and whether or not he's going to play. They've been um, wanting him back for some time, and that if you just look at uh, Detroit media, Lions fan base media, that's kind of the big thing um, as, as far as running backs are concerned. Uh, Matt Stafford, again, right thumb injury. I haven't heard anything indicating there's expectation he won't play. Deshaun Hand, Austin Bryant, those are very similar to what I've been saying about other positions. They're not good football players, but it's kind of devastating if they don't play because it just makes things that much worse. But all indications are they are going to play. The biggest questions, Jeffrey Okuda, 
Tyrell Crosby and Kenny Galladay, those are massive. Massive, massive, massive. I already went over why it's massive. I'm not going to do that again. If you'd like to, if you didn't listen to yesterday's episode, go ahead and do that. But it's for each one individually, but all three of those are pretty massive things. I mean, Jeff Okuda, as far as I can tell, is CB1. Tyrell Crosby is, I mean, he's he's an offensive lineman. That's always kind of a big deal. And Kenny Galladay is, is wide receiver one. And I've gone over the record difference when he's there and when he's not. I mean, it's just, it's it's massive. Um, so anyways, that's that. Oh, look, I was just going to say something, and it uh, it changed a little bit. So here are the results. I've got 49 responses, which is a lot less than I was hoping for, considering the size of the audience. This does not give me a very good picture of what everybody is thinking, but it's, you know, if you cared, you should have voted. Um, it's still open if anybody wants to jump in here, but here are the results of that um, the poll that I did, and I, I feel like I should have been maybe a little bit more specific on some of these. However, um... The options were, yes, keep doing it, I'd rather you didn't do that, and then sort of in between that is, I like the format, but let's keep it to football, and uh, maybe once in a while, but not every week. And the one thing I wish I'd have clarified is, if I kept it to football, would it be okay every week, or is it maybe once in a while, but not every week, because you assume, you know what I mean? It's uh, That's a little bit iffy. But um, 51% said they did like it, which sounds good, but at the same time, 100% of the people that listen are listening. So if only 50% say they like that, as much as it's, it's hey, it's 51%, that's majority, that means potentially 49% are not going to listen. That's a huge hit, and I don't really want to do that. So I was kind of hoping it would be closer to, you know, way higher. But only one person said they didn't like it. That j- literally just happened now. I, it was zero. It just went to one. So that ratio is is pretty big. There were 20% of the people said it's fine, but let's try to keep it to football. Um, a little over a third said maybe once in a while, but not every week. I don't know what I learned from this. (laughs) Um, I'm also strongly considering doing the thing that I said I would never do, which is interviewing people. Um, it's not my favorite thing in the world, but it does make a lot of sense in terms of helping out my schedule and also creating great content because there are some great, uh, creators. I actually had somebody reach out just yesterday saying, have you considered bringing on the FTFN people that I work with? And, um, to be honest, I just reached out to Dosa Dion, um, really, really good Lions uh, YouTube creator. He didn't get back to me yet, but um, uh, if nothing else, you should definitely check out his stuff if you're trying to check out what's going on with the Detroit Lions. He's, first of all, super cool dude. He's one of those guys that's just, you know, extremely nice, and so you always kind of, you just kind of root for him because he's a nice guy. You know, there's there's a handful of people at FTFN that even if I wasn't a part of the network, I'd still check out their content. Big Cat for the Carolina Panthers is a huge personality, a lot of fun to watch. Um, Dosa Dion is cool because it's the Lions. He's very insightful and intelligent, and he's also just legitimately an extremely nice dude. So again, you just, I mean, he, unlike me where I've got sort of an abrasive personality where some people hear it and they're like, yeah, I like the show, but he's kind of a jerk, so I'm never going to listen and I hate him and I hope he fails. He's the opposite. So anyways, I, I am going to reach out and see if he's interested in doing something. Uh, if he is, that may be tomorrow's thing. So maybe I can kind of mix in interviews slash JJ coming on. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll play with it, see how it goes, and I'll maybe continue with these kind of surveys just to get a gauge of where people are at. Just in general, I kind of want to know because it's hard to know. You know, again, there's thousands of people. The numbers go up, the numbers go down. I don't know if people are leaving because they're not telling me they don't reach out and like hey just so you know i'm never listening again because i'm tired of you or because you said this or what do me that favor tell me i need to know i mean to be complete i i I, there are certain things that aren't going to change 
And there's certain things about me that aren't going to change. But if there's something with the content you don't like, tell. I've again, I had people reach out, tell me all that stuff. I, that's the one good thing about YouTube. Those people are so unbelievably brutally honest. And there's a comment section which help. But it's like, I I I can refine the videos to a point where every single time it gets better and better and better and better and better. And I can see that because the comments get more positive and there's more the the like to dislike ratio goes heavily in the like column it's super easy to do because of the massive amount of feedback so please don't be afraid of giving me feedback just throwing that out there if you think i can't handle feedback go look at my youtube channel and the negative comments i get you literally cannot do youtube content if you don't develop thick skin and i'll tell you when i first started i almost couldn't hack it it was too much it's like dude these people are brutal i i suck at this i don't belong here this is the worst i hate everybody i'm still a little bit like i get real fired up and want to fight but i've learned you know, over the years that if you just kind of are calm, cool, collected, explain yourself, they, you know, eventually they become kind of cool, they subscribe, and then they become repeat commenters and all that kind of stuff. So just, again, go look at those comments. I can handle it. We're good. Just throwing it out there. I don't like it, but some of the best things that have happened to this podcast have been negative reviews. So just let me know. Make this thing uh, really, really solid. And again, I mean, if I'm trying to make this a full-time gig, it's got to be a good show that people want to listen to. So... It's going to be a rough day because I'm going to get so much negative feedback today. Oh, it's going to be fun. That's all right. I'm ready for it. Um, Why don't we actually take a break here? Because I want to be able to launch into stuff and not have to be interrupted or think about this kind of stuff. So we'll do that. Um, Again, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you want to support the podcast, links are in the description. Survey link is still there. There's other one-time donation things. But again, the biggest way you can help, spread the word. If you are, uh, if you're kind of a big wig, whether it be Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, whatever. If you have a big Facebook page or a big Facebook group, please reach out to me. I'd love to get your help, and it doesn't have to be charity. I'm just saying. Otherwise, uh, we'll be back in a little bit. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so uh, one of the things that is pretty painfully obvious when you look at this, and you can probably figure it out on your own, although it doesn't always line up perfectly, is the fact that the biggest failure of this team is the defense. So again, if we do the thing that I really like to do is looking at the correlations between, you know, sort of those lines in the sand of when you win and when you lose. If you look at the offense, 
The team is uh, four and one when the offense reaches 26 points. When they score less than 26 points, they're one and six. That's a relatively high bar, but nothing too crazy, I guess. Although there is another way to look at this, and it makes a little bit more sense um, when you flip it over to the defense. Another way to phrase this: they're three and zero when they reach 30 points. They're two and seven when they don't reach 30 points. The reason that kind of makes sense is if we flip this over and look at the defensive side of the ball, they are five and two when the defense holds them to just 30 or less points. Think about that for a second. They're five and two if the defense can just keep them to 30 or less. Unfortunately, they have not won a single game when a team scores more than 30 points, and that has happened one, two, three, four, five times. So the line, in a sense, on both sides is about 30 points, which is both good news and bad news, and again, kind of points to how garbage this defense is. The bar is really low for the defense. Just please keep them under 30. However, the bar is kind of high for the offense because it's it's you need to score over 30 in order for us to win. Not necessarily. They do have two wins when that isn't the case. Uh, 26 points against Arizona, 23 points against the Falcons. But, you know, they scored 29 against the Saints and lost, 25 against the Texans and lost, uh, 23 against the Bears and lost. The The... I guess the larger issue here is the massive gap between the average offensive performance and the average defensive performance. On average, the team, I believe, is scoring about 25 points. Let me check that again. I don't know why I keep closing the... This is... You want to talk about broken brain syndrome? I constantly use the calculator on this computer, but I'm also psychotically obsessed with closing windows that I feel like don't need to be open. It drives me nuts, whether it's windows on a browser or tabs on the bottom here, or like I've got this folder here for my YouTube stuff. It doesn't need to be open, so I'm closing it right now. I'm going to be mad later, but not right now. So again, i got to pull up the calculator. It drives me nuts. Oh, I lied. It's a little less than 24 points a game. We'll, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and round it up to 24 points per game on offense defensively, again, the number's about 30, 29.8. We'll, we'll do the same thing and round it up. So it's offensively, they're averaging about 24 points a game. Defensively, they're averaging about 30 points given up per game. That's the issue. The defense is keeping that number around 30. The offense has to get above 30. Otherwise, we don't win. But the offense is not capable of doing that. And to be fair, most aren't. So you have a subpar offense being asked to do super par above par things. I mean, being asked to score 24, 25 points, uh, you, you know, that's fairly reasonable. The fact that they're not doing that very often is problematic, and the fact that, again, they, they what is needed is 30. You understand why the record is what it is. The other issue is with Kenny Galladay, they're averaging about 26.6, so, you know, creeping up to 27 points a game with Kenny Galladay. They're averaging just under 22 points a game without Kenny Galladay. Now, the, the one area of concern is that some of their bigger games have actually come recently. So the uh, three biggest games that they've had, they've scored uh, over you know 30 points or over, have come, um, one of them was week six against the Jaguars, one of them was week 10 against Washington, and then most recently, 34 points against Chicago. So that is a little bit of cause for concern that they're kind of finding that much success recently, although there was also a zero-point game against Carolina recently. But again, they, they have that level of firepower, which is the one area that you kind of are concerned about with Detroit. They do have that ability to score 30-plus points, and our defense has that ability to give up 34 points. And if these two guys 
you know, kind of shake hands and decide, you know what, today's going to be that day. That's going to put a lot of strain on our offense. So ultimately, I mean, just right off the top of my head, that's the first thing that comes to mind is the defense really needs to play well. And, and, and there's no reason to expect anything less than that. I know anything can happen, but it's not a matter of they're incapable of doing it because that's simply not true. Again, if we go through what we saw, the, the Philadelphia Eagles, not a very good offense, but, you know, again, the Lions aren't either. They're ranked 19th right now. We held them to 16, and one of them was a special teams touchdown. Again, that puts them at roughly nine points scored in the entire game. Chicago Bears got to 25. Colts, obviously, was a nightmare. But again, a lot of that was special teams. Short fields, I went over that whole thing. Every single one of those, basically, was a short field or a you know special teams score. Jaguars, again, 20 points. One of them was special teams, so that's 13. It's the 49ers, 17. The Texans, 20. Yes, I skipped the Vikings. It happens. I still don't think 28 is all that much. They've scored 34, uh, 19 against the Bears, 28, 28, and 27 since. So that's pretty on par. So at worst, this has been an on par defense that at, at times shows signs of brilliance. Again, anytime you're holding a team basically to, to single digits or low teens, or a- any teens, any team, any time you keep a team under 20, you've done your job. I mean, in reality, this is such an exciting thing to look at. This is the number one offense in points, number two in yards, 15th overall defense. That's not that bad. They're giving up, I forget what it was now, about 25 points per game on average this season. Since that San Francisco 49ers game, even including the special teams gaffes, they're only giving up about 22 points a game. If you take away those special teams gaffes, and I'll, I'll just leave the Colts at what it is because you can't really adjust the score based on, you know, short fields or whatever, so I'll just leave that at 34. They're at 19.6 points per, ga- <coughs> per game. I'm choking on, choking on myself. I don't know what happened there. So again, I mean, look, there's the any given Sunday thing. They can give up 40 points to the Lions. I don't know, but I'm just telling you what the quality of the defense has been recently. And I don't know that the, the the last and one of the only games that you look at and say this defense was just pathetic was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. Again, I'm not really putting the Colts thing. It could have been better. I'm not putting that on them. So we look at it, and it's it's the Tampa Bay. Um, the Saints scored 30, which is relatively understandable. The Vikings scored 34, which isn't great. That was week one. I mean, two of the biggest games came in weeks one and three, and we didn't even worry about this team because the team was looking so good. We just, eh, whatever, sounds good to me. 43-34, 37-30, score. I mean, we're, we're literally giving up 30 points a game almost in the first three weeks, and we don't care. The last five weeks, we're giving up, you know, 22 points a game. Even with the special teams disasters, 19.6 without. I mean, really think about that. And I Listen, I understand, you know, smaller sample size, you can have good stretches for X amount of period of time or whatever. Um, and these maybe aren't the most high-quality teams in the world, but at the same time... the Everybody understood the 49ers could have steamrolled us. Everybody understood the Colts could and did win. Everybody understands the threat of the Chicago Bears and the Philadelphia Eagles. And 49ers and Eagles both whooped on us real bad last year. In that five-game stretch, again, if we get rid of the special teams thing, we have an offense scoring on average 32 points a game and a defense giving up 19 points a game. That's a Super Bowl caliber team right there. Now, the special teams is a problem. That's got to get fixed because they're giving up, you know, what, three points a game? Just on, like, kick and punt returns. I'm not talking about, you know, obviously field goals or anything. Special teams should be giving up zero points a game. I mean, you can get into expected points because you're giving up 
horrible field position, which is another aspect of this. They're giving up terrible field position in these games. The Bears, the Eagles, the Colts, the Jaguars, the 49ers, and it's still an average of 32 points and 19 points. Figure it out, man. But either way, no question this is one of the most dominant teams coming down the stretch. And right now it's really just a matter of keep your foot on the gas and um, stay healthy. So, yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic about the game. There's no reason not to be, right? There, there's The only thing there is is the Packers getting in their own way and this mystical, magical, any given Sunday thing that's just floating around, and it's all over the place. There's no question that thing is floating around like crazy, and it can strike anywhere, anytime. But at the end of the day, um, you know, remove the mysticism. It really comes down to the Green Bay Packers just doing their job, right? That mystical, magical thing floating around is sometimes good teams decide not to show up, and sometimes bad teams decide to be really good. And when those two things strike at the same time, you get Pittsburgh and Washington. If the Packers can stay at this level, and again, remember, ever since that Colts game when he said, hey, it sounds weird, but I'm telling you something different about this team lately, they've been pretty good. So let's just uh, stay optimistic, stay excited, stay fired up. I mean, I, I, it seems fake to think that it could actually happen this year. Like, yeah, I mean, it could happen any year. No, like, no, 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 no. Listen, there could, there could legitimately, it is December 11th. There are only 58 days until the Super Bowl. 58. There's less than two months. You know how quickly a month flies by? In 58 days, we very well may be preparing for a Green Bay Packers Super Bowl. It's not a guarantee, but I can at least guarantee you it's a possibility. In 59 days, we might be waking up after a night of absolute bliss because the Packers won the Super Bowl. Just, just imagine the excitement, because why not? It's just like, it's just like during the offseason when we talk about how the draft is all just about, you know, feeling good, like this is going to be it, this is going to be the chain. These are the guys, man, this is going to change everything. This quarterback, this pass rusher, this tackle, it's going to fix everything. It's mostly fake. But do it anyways, because why not? Free agency when we go get somebody, right? Just enjoy it. I mean, I'm going to give honest analysis of whether I think it's good or bad or whatever, but it doesn't matter. At this time of the season, when you only have three losses, you're a playoff team. It's not like it's the Lions saying, we can do it. No, you probably can't, but, you know, you could try to get excited about it or just move on to the draft and get excited about that. And, you know, check out my uh, YouTube video coming out soon about the draft for the Lions 7 round. I mean, just saying. But, I mean, at this stage, again, less than two months, 58 days. If that doesn't do it for you, how about the fact that in 29 days we're starting the playoffs? I don't know if the Packers are playing in 29 days, but 29 days. I mean, we're, we're, we're hanging out, we're watching football like it's no big deal. We do some Christmas shopping, we're going to wake up after Christmas, and all of a sudden it's going to be the playoffs, and we're, it's go time. Feel free to go ahead and get excited about that. And also, just keep in the back of your mind, if we win the Super Bowl, am I going to be happy with the stuff that I was saying during the regular season or not? You don't have to do that. I'm just saying I, I remember that. I remember the last time we won a Super Bowl. Fortunately, I didn't have a podcast and I didn't have a blog or any of that stuff. But I just to this day, I remember I gave up. I gave up. I gave up on the team. I gave up on the Packers. And I gave up on them at 8-6. and six. Right? They were 7-3. and three. They lost to the Falcons. They were 7-4. and four. They beat the 49ers, they lose to Detroit. They're 8 and 5, they lose to the Patriots 8 and 6. I said I'm done. The Packers have to win the next two games and get help in order to get into the playoffs. It's not going to happen. It's just I mean even if they sneak in, this is not a team that's going to win a Super Bowl. That's what I said about the 8 and 6 Packers back in 2010. 8 and 6, the team that lost to Detroit 3 to 7. 
That's the team I wasn't feeling good about. A little bit more understandable, isn't it? A lot more unlikely that that team won a Super Bowl than it is that this team wins a Super Bowl. And you know how that story went. They beat the Giants 45-17. Hey, that's cool. Now we got to beat the Bears and get a little bit of help. We beat the Bears 10-3, barely beat them. So now you're excited. Hey, we did it. We're in. We're jacked. But you know what? Probably not going to do much. But hey, wild card game. It's the Eagles. There's a chance we at least win this game. It was close. 21-16. Defense comes up in the clutch. We're moving on. Unfortunately, we're going to Atlanta. No possible way we win that game. They're too good. 48-21. to That was not supposed to happen. No rational person in their right mind would have picked the Packers to win, much less expected the Packers to annihilate the, the Falcons in Atlanta. The only loss they had at home that entire year was a divisional game against the Saints. They lost 14-17. to That's it. It's the only time they lost at home. In fact, they already beat the Packers that year. Week 12, 20-17. Already a thing. We already lost to them. Not this time. Then you go and face the Bears. You feel relatively good about it because the Bears aren't that good, but th- these Bears games are tough, man. We lost to the Bears 17-20. to We came back and beat them 10-3. to These are tough, tough games. I mean, this is an offense, and a, this is a team that you expect to put up big points, but you go up against the Bears, and we're talking about like a, a 7-10 to game is what we're looking for. That game was 21-14, to and it was, I mean, every bit as close as any game that, that you'll ever see. Cutler goes out, you feel like, hey, things are going in our direction. They're only going to go more in our direction, except they didn't. They started going in the Bears' favor. Barely squeaked that one out. Then it's Pittsburgh. And again, I've told the story a thousand times. I had no fear by the time we got there because it felt impossible that we would lose. But I can tell you right now, it was not impossible for us to lose that game. The 8-6 and six Packers, right? They ended up 10-6, and six, obviously. Or 8-6 and six at one point after they had fallen. Three out of four. Falcons, 49ers, Lions, and Patriots, we lose three of those four games. Certainly not a guarantee. Beat them 31-25. It, I'm, I'm, I'm going through it because it feels fake. Like, I tell myself, dude, we might win the Super Bowl this year. It's like, yeah, I know. It's like, no, you don't. Because if you knew that, you'd be excited. You, you, There's an intellectual thing that goes on in your brain where it's like a calculation. Like, yep, there's a uh, 13.245 repeating uh, chance that we win the Super Bowl. It's like, no, dummy. Talking about... Lifting up the trophy. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about 13.245 repeating, stupid math nerd dork. I'm talking about pure bliss in less than two months. Now, crushing defeat and depression is also a possibility, but either way, let's get excited about it. And when you look at that big picture, this game doesn't mean all that much. Because either way, we're going to the playoffs. But again, it's about how consistent can we be. How good does the defense, you know, it's offensive and defensive consistency. Can we maintain that 32 points a game? Can we maintain the defense giving up 19 points a game? And can we stay healthy? But either way, this is just about what kind of an animal can we manifest by the time we get to the playoffs. Anyways, that's it. That's all I got. I don't know how we got here, but I'm glad we got here. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. We'll see what happens tomorrow in terms of what the content will be. I'm hoping we're doing something kind of interesting. Um, Everything is kind of last minute because that's how I operate. But uh, we'll see how it goes. Have a good one. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.